This episode's guest is Augie Ajay. Augie is the Performance Coach Director at Lando Performance in Colorado in the USA. At Lando Performance, Augie is the NFL and NFL Combine Prep Lead Performance Coach and also serves as the Internship Director. For Augie's full bio, you can head over to the show notes. On this episode, Augie and I discussed many topics. Firstly, we started off with Augie's background. I asked Augie what did he learn from his time selling cell phones that he now applies to his coaching today. I asked Augie what is his role at Lando Performance. Augie outlines the training system that is executed at Lando Performance. I asked Augie about data collection among some of the athletes that they train at the facility. We discussed program design. We discussed agility training. I asked Augie who have been the biggest influences on him both as a person and as a coach. What advice would Augie give to young coaches? I asked Augie, how does he learn? Augie gives us his current and top book recommendations. I asked Augie, what are the good and not so good things that he currently sees within the strength and conditioning field? And what solutions would he offer to counteract the not so good things that he currently sees? And finally, I asked Augie, if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who do you invite? And why? Guys, this was a fantastic conversation with Augie. He's a top-class person and a top-class coach. And I hope you really enjoy this podcast. Okay, Augie, thank you so much for making time for me today. I really do appreciate it. I know you're super busy in the facility. Not oh, like thank you. All year round. And uh, yeah, it was really, really great to reconnect. We, we met, we officially met in December 2016 at Altus at an, at an ACP. Right. And... Uh, I have to say, completely hit it off with you. We had some great conversations over those few days. And I was like, this is a sharp dude. And like, obviously, then when I found out you worked for Lauren at Land of Performance, I was like, well, he's definitely a sharp dude because Lauren, <laughs> Lauren does not just like add anybody to his staff. So really appreciate your time. Just for all the listeners, give us a full rundown of your background as a, you know, just as a human, as an athlete, and then obviously as a coach. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to hear the whole story and then we'll take it away. Oh, of course. No, again, thank you for having me on, man. It, it was, I remember that ACP. That was awesome. Uh, we need to get back down there at Altus here soon um, once everything kind of opens up. But uh, yeah, so no, I grew up in Aurora, Colorado. Um, I, my major sports was football was my main sport, um, but track and field was my close second. So I grew up, um, I played, I started playing football in high school. I ran track um, younger and, and in middle school. So I was a two-sport athlete in high school. Then I went on to college and I at to Drake University. Um, and I went on to play football and track. Um, I was there for three years. And Drake, Drake University is in Des Moines, Iowa. So I was there for three years, but I ended up transferring to a school in Washington, a, a Division II school, a smaller school, where I still played football and ran track. Um, I played the football season there. But what happened after the football season, they decided to drop the football program. Um, so there, football being my main sport, I was like, I knew I'm going to have to transfer again. So I ran the track season, and then I ended up transferring back home to Colorado to play at a Division II school in Pueblo, Colorado. I'm at CSU Pueblo, so that's where I finished my football career. Um, so foot, being football my main sport, um, my rec- wide receiver coach at Pueblo um, was telling me, hey, you need to go check out this guy, Lauren, and go train with him um, to, for your pro day, you know, to get into the pros. And I was always a speed guy. I grew up naturally gifted in terms of being able to run. Uh, so I remember having this conversation with my, my receiver coach in college. I was like, well, I, I distinctly said this. I'm like, how much faster could he make me? I'm like, I'm already a, I was usually a sub four, four guy in the 40. I was always a guy that was pretty explosive numbers. I always, I never had a problem with, um, but he actually convinced me um, to go meet up and do a session with Lauren. And when I did, I was hooked. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, so while training with Lauren for my pro day, I did have to go back and forth with school, um, cause I was finishing up my final semester, um, of, of school there. Um, so in that time we, I, I did my pro day and I, it was a great pro day. Uh, I ran well, I think I ran 436. My vert was 38 and some change, um, just tested lights out, you know, and I had a little cup of coffee with the, with the NFL team here. And then I played arena football after that. Um, but while I was bouncing back and forth to all these different arena football teams, I would always come back home to train in the offseason with Lauren. 
Um, and during that time, I was working, I was various odd jobs, but mainly selling cell phones um, at a local mall. And what happened, I would, I would, there would be days that I'd miss my workout because I would have to go cell phones in the mall. Um, so eventually, because I'm a guy like I, just, I hate missing my workout, you know, um, and Lauren would be awesome and they would still like send me the workout, send me what they did. Um, but I got to a point where I kind of asked myself, I'm like, well, what if I worked out where I worked? Um, you know, in my brain, that made sense. Uh, so I wouldn't miss my workouts. Um, so I started applying and looking at like local gyms, um, one being 24 hour fitness. Um, it's open all, you know, through all ends of the night. And I was like, well, if I'm able to do that, I wouldn't, if even if I have to leave Lauren's workout, I know I can get it done during my lunch hour. Like I wouldn't have to figure out how to do it after work when I was working in the mall. Um, so I remember I presented that Lauren, that, that idea to Lauren um, and, and Lauren being the you know awesome mentor that he's been is he was like, well, if you, if you go this route and you like it, he was like, I can teach you a lot of the things that you need to know, um, but you just got to under, understand the industry and see if you actually want to be in it. Um, so I worked at 24 hour fitness, which is, you know, a big box gym for literally a calendar year. Um, and I knew the entire time as I was doing it, uh, cause I was going back and forth and started to shadow Lauren as my career, my football career was kind of winding down, but I knew I was like, Oh no, this is what I wanted to do. Um, I, I was already coaching football. I was already coaching track at the time. Like I'm already enamored with, with just the development of athletes. Um, so a calendar year later is when I started to work with Lauren, work under Lauren. Um, and that's kind of how my, my career started there, um, which is cool. And that, that was, man, that was ten, eight years ago, nine years ago now um, coming up. And it's been kind of going ever since. Just off the back of your experience working in the mall and selling cell phones, is there anything like you learned from that role that, you would still use as a coach today? 100%. I mean, being able to just talk to a variety of different people that have maybe initially nothing in common with you. You know, when you're in the selling in a mall or if you're in a big box gym trying to attain clients, you have to, you have a very small window, like your elevator pitch, you know, a very small window to, to relate to somebody, you know, and, I, and I'll be the, and I'll be the first to admit, like, I was a guy that I, I really don't, I'm not a fan of sales. I'll do it. And I think I was, you know, decent at it. Um, but I was never really a fan of that. I was never a fan of chasing dollar signs. I actually was generally, um, generally entertained in terms of like, how well can I connect with this person? You know, can I create some sort of relationship? So later down the line, maybe they will want to come back. You know, what, what can I do in that short amount of time? Um, to just be relatable to that person that's in front of me. Um, and that, that to me is, was one of the things that I've always kind of chased and always felt that that was more fulfilling for myself. Yeah. The, the, the reason why I asked that question is because as you were, as you were sharing your, your background um, and you spoke about your time working in the mall selling cell phones, it just reminded me of Fergus Connolly talking oh, yeah. about when they would go through a hiring process and he always felt that if the individual that they were um, that the individual that was applying for a job, if on their CV, they had that they worked in like a service industry, like they were a waiter or a, wait- a waitress or, you know, they worked like in a clothes shop or in your case, it was selling cell phones. He always felt that those individuals had a bit of an, a bit of an advantage over other potential candidates because they usually would have a, a, a more well-developed, ability to communicate to a to a wider range of individuals which obviously you know with the work of brett bartholomew now because brett's kind of putting it more to the forefront and we know how important it is to be great communicators as coaches because like we have to deal with so many different personalities when it comes to the, the range and the vast of athletes that we you know that we get to get to work right. with and even 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 if your cohort of athletes is even within one sport like even if all you do is football or all you do is cricket or all you do is rugby even within that team there's still a group of many different individuals who have vastly different life experiences and perceive reality through their own right through their own lens so it's still so important to be able to communicate on so many different levels so many different individuals so that's why i felt like asking did you feel you learned anything and it's funny because as you said that you use a great word there to be able to relate that's a that's a very very important thing because obviously from the work of um 
some people call it Dossie, some people call him DC, but DC and Ryan, Dossie and Ryan, whatever you want to say, the guys who who popularized self-determination theory. You know, right. we know that relatedness, competency, and autonomy are the three key things to really drive um, intrinsic motivation in an athlete. So relatedness is just, you know, as I said, it's one of those three factors along with uh, uh, autonomy and competency. So, um, yeah, it just it just reminded me of Fergus Fergus Connolly initially saying that. And I, at first, I was surprised, but then in more time, of course, that makes sense. You know, like how many times right, you go right. to how many, how many like how many times you go to a restaurant and like the waiter is really good at what they do, communicating about oh, this is the wine and this is the the dessert menu and the main menu, and you know, a waiter can either make or break the evening. Like you know the way, and then obviously when you go into a, a shop, like a like a cell phone shop, and like let's say someone I have no clue about cell phones. But obviously, right. if, if you're very helpful and you can relate to me and break it down to my level, it, it, and I'm going to show up now after this and because it's your show. But um, it reminds me too of, of a friend of mine, and uh, he's actually in the fitness industry now. He actually runs a certification company here in Ireland for the last 10 years. But before that, he was a car, a car salesman. And his thing was that people don't actually, he, he, what he learned through, Carl, through selling cars is he said, people don't actually buy the end product they buy the person because he's like the amount of times somebody right. he's like the amount of times somebody could have went down the road to the other car dealership and bought the same car for the same price right. but it's just because i was better at relating to that person being genuine and they actually felt like i wasn't just trying to sell them a car i was genuinely right. interested in them as a person um yeah so it just uh that's just what resonates with me when he because it just makes your background even more intriguing to be honest and it's just i think some people might say god like what has selling cell phones got to do with coaching or how, how, like, what could you learn from that? And it's just like a lot, like, because if you think coaching really is just another form of communication. Right. I agree. 100%, man. It's uh, it's people. You're still working with people. There's the dynamic shifts every time a new, new person walks in the room. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to shut up now. Next question is, so you're currently the D head SNC at Lando performance. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, well, I'm like I'm the lead, lead the the lead coach for NFL Combine Prep and NFL or NFL athletes as well. Perfect. Um, so and so, then yeah, there's three of us that manage it. Great. So my question is, tell us everything about that role and the responsibilities with that role. Yeah. Um. So, so there's me and there's two other. There's one other coach. His name's Eric Telly, and then another lady named Amber Felkley. We are like kind of a three-headed monster where we help manage their actual staff and then me and eric are both on the performance side in terms of managing our, our staff in terms of the actual nitty-gritty of performance um but that being said my major role as well as with nfl combine prep and any of our pro athletes that come in the door um it is it is, it is my responsibility to a, identify who they are um and then if they place them in the correct group if they're in our elite group um in our nfl group or if they're a return to sport um, and make sure that we're facilitating their needs the um, the most in the most correct fashion that we can. So, for myself, for the listeners, walk us through like your training system. You know the the principles that you abide by. So, in my mind, you know we're looking at athlete walks in day one. Now it could be just high school, could be collegiate, could yep. be pro, however you want to tackle it, male, female, and whatever sport. If you want to give a, a specific case study or a hypo, uh, a hypo um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Hypothetical. Am I saying it right? Athlete. Yeah. Yep. You know, if you want to use a, a, a pretend athlete or a case study, um, what does that look like? So let's say I walk into the facility, like you know, what's the assessment piece? What's the the training piece look like? recovery regeneration is there a nutrition component lifestyle education take us through all that yeah no so what's what's cool about our facility like a lot of people will go onto our website and we see all the pros um which we we do have a significant amount of professional athletes however 80 percent of our clientele are between the ages of 8 and 13 um, so we do have a wide range of clientele and we have some lifestyle people that are you know younger or even older upwards of eight years old um um, so that being said, for me, as we as when guys walk in, our evaluation process starts right away. You know, if you were walking the door, well, I'm paying attention to how you walk, you know, posture. If you drop your keys, how do you how do you reach down to pick up your keys? Um, you know, personality, you know, are the heads all over the place? Um, I'm always looking at that from the get go. And then obviously we'll go through the paperwork. You go through the injury history. 
Um, Cause again, we're just trying to gather more information so that I can ask better questions that'll hopefully lead me to a better solution. Um, and then from there, we generally will take our athletes through our warm-up. With our warm-up, it consists of a couple of different things. We have our, our walking series and our hip series um, that can be modified per person. But through this process, I'm looking, um, we're evaluating ankle mobility, ankle stability, trunk mobility, trunk stability, et cetera, just gathering more and more information. Um, and then we'll go through our hip series, same thing, go, um, evaluating, constantly evaluating, asking questions. I'm just trying to build an overall profile with this, with this athlete or person. Um, from there, obviously, we'll talk, to, talk about their goals and look at what their goals are. You know, if it's a, a younger athlete, which maybe maybe it's just to get fat faster, um, some sort of testing protocol to just give me some sort of gauge and give them a gauge to to compare against. Um, but sometimes, again, we don't just want to stay on the quantitative side. You know, I always want to provide, if it's, especially if it's a younger athlete, the the parents with a qualitative assessment as well. You know, I, I do believe you have to mix the two. We can't just look at the numbers and not look at the individual and vice versa. You know, there has to be some sort of confirmation that we're seeing what the person is showing us and seeing what the numbers are showing us, at least to some degree. You know, sometimes I feel like, and I've done it, I feel like I've gone one, far one way and too far the other way as well, opposed to allowing information be information and seeing how it meshes and how that story is, is showing itself to me um, on that day one. And from there, we'll kind of sit and build the program from there. You know, if it's a younger athlete, you know, do we need to build more strength in? And where does that strength, what does that even mean? You know, does that mean trunk stability, trunk, trunk strength? Um, we're looking at rhythm and coordination. We're watching their movement patterns in terms of running. You know, are they able to hit positions? Do we need increased relative strength? You know, from there, we can kind of, decipher what sort of scenario we need to, to uh, improve, you know, right now, and then kind of build the list from there. Yeah, great stuff. So just in, in terms of looking at quality, moving quality, what type of assessments do you guys do? Do you do, like, do you have your own screen? Like, is, is it like your own version of an, of an, um, an FMS or is it, is it, is it, do, do you take from different components? Do you do any passive orthopedic stuff on a table? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So a few of our, our coaches actually, actually now a lot of our coaches, um, are certified in what's called M muscle activation therapy. So we're able to do some soft tissue work. Um, so if need be, if need be, depending on who the athlete is, we can put them on the table and get some passive. Um, range of motion exams, um, as well as utilizing our warm up as our screen. And we do utilize our force plates as well. Um, so we have lots of different things to choose from. Um, early on, I'm a fan of, you know, keeping it simple. Now, if you have like somebody that's returned to sport, then obviously the more objective data you can get on the front end um, is, is crucial in terms of building your program out. Um, but just kind of like a mixture of of different modalities, we said within our warm up or within the force plates or within MAT, and obviously it's going to be to the, you know, the the level of the practitioner of what they can actually filter through as well. You know, me, I try to just keep it simple. I don't want to have so much data on the front end that it's so hard for me to sift through to give the the client or give the parents a, a clear picture as to what needs to be done. In in comparison, then Augie, to let's say your more developmental athletes to your your pro athletes, would you would you be a little more specific with the pro athletes in terms of let's say like the pro athletes that are kind of returning year on year, um, yeah. in the off season to 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 land a performance? Like, are you keeping more data on them guys in terms of some of their metrics? You know, both from their movement quality metrics and their movement quantity metrics. Like, are you keeping scores of? you know, uh, obviously they're, you know, their their range of motion tests orthopedically or whatever they're getting on the table and then obviously keeping scores of their strength, power, speed numbers just to have a look at those to get, you know, to get more of a, I suppose, build up a database right. on these athletes. Like obviously I can understand too when it's like when it's your eight to 13 year old bracket and it's a young developmental athlete, like you don't need to be paralysis by analysis, you know, fundamentals, right. get, get them right, get them moving right. and stuff like that. But would you be going a little more detailed with your pro guys because again of the status that they're currently at? Yeah, we try to get as much as we can, especially for the you know with ours with where we're at. We have a a, a decent amount of athletes that keep coming back here to during the off season. 
Um, but a lot of pro athletes kind of go here, then they go there, then they go here and go. So we, we get us gather as much as we can, 100%. Um, you know, and I, I do pay attention to, obviously with our combine prep, I pay attention to certain metrics that I know when guys are hitting, especially movement wise, that they're getting ready to be where they should be. You know, something as, you know, like a 10 yard split, like I, I time them all the time. Um, that's just me. Um, because I, I have an idea as to when guys are starting to get towards a season, hitting certain times. And I know, especially for specific people, I'm like, okay, this guy's about ready to go. Um, also keeping track of like their strength numbers, you know, how strong is strong enough? You know, do we need to live in the weight room or worse? These certain ranges that guys starting to hit to A, that I know they're going to start to produce these numbers um, or B, start to feel good as well. You know, well, you want to make sure they have their superpowers um, and that's that goes for mentally as well. Great stuff. Okay, so moving then into more your programming. So we kind of have a feel about the assessment um, and a, a bit of a feel to around like diagnostics in terms of looking at certain physical qualities and biomoral qualities. In terms then of programming or designing a program, Augie, what, what, what does that look like? So if I was to just step into a land of performance and just watch a session go on, what's the flow look like? You know, is it, you know, after dynamic warm-ups and power and speed and then get into strength stuff and yeah. then p- potentially on the back end, there might be some extra energy system development stuff or, you know, right. how, how would that look like if I was to observe a session? Exactly. Just um, depending on how we profile you and let's say, well, typically we'll, We'll go through our active warm-up and our dynamic warm-up. And then we, we're, as a, as a facility, um, we're a movement-based gym in terms of we believe we can, we can help teach athletes through movement how to become more efficient movers. Um, and then we use the weight room as a cherry on top. Um, so that being said, we'll, we'll start with a little, our movement. Let's say it's a linear day. We'll have whatever drills um, that are, are going to dictate what movement. Let's say it's a linear day. Um, and I will have my linear drills, my handful of linear, linear drills. I don't like to go too crazy in terms of picking this, picking this, picking this. I always try to use the drills that are going to set the tone for the day, um, you know, to kind of extend the warm up. Let's say let's get some more A skips or some power skips, depending on who the athlete is. Um, and then maybe it's a wall drill, a positional thing, uh, a postural thing, understand where, where they're going to place their foot in relation to their hips and then the patterning of the type drill. Lauren always called those the four P's. You know, the posture, position, placement pattern. Mm. Um, and that's going to set my tone for the day, um, especially my linear days. Um, I want to make sure that they understand the difference between acceleration and, and uh, max velocity sprinting. You know, when we go to our change of direction day, I need them to understand how to hit these angles, where to, where to leverage their levers about the center of mass. I got to set the tone early with the, whatever the, the specific drills we're choosing. And then we get into the actual work of it. And the work is to say, my, if it's a, a lactic day in the weight room or in the, on the, on the sprint side, you know, tens or fifteens, I need those tens and fifteens to be quality. You know, let's say if it's the day is three sets of 10, three sets of 15, um, whatever the distance may be, I need those to be the meat of my, my workload. So whatever I'm setting up on the front end, and if I need more of an extended warm up or some more buildups, I want to get them set up so they understand a, the speed that they're going for the day, they understand their positioning. And then when it's time to go, they have the opportunity to hit whatever big box I need to hit for that day. And then we'll go for some extra ESD work if we need to at the back end of the day. Um, especially in early off season for some of our, it doesn't even have to be NFL. We have a lot, we have guys that play soccer, guys that play anything under the sun, depending on what the energy system requirements are. Um, I might need to build some more volume on the back end. On, and my back end volume early on doesn't need to be as specific. Um, and then we get more and more specific as we get closer to the season. But with that, as you know, the guys will start to practice a lot more as well. You know, so I got to pick and choose my opportunities to give them that, that gas tank, as well as those contacts, um, getting these joints and ligaments ready for actual gameplay. Um, but so that's how we, we kind of build it out there. And then after that, we'll go into the weight room. Um, our elite group is a group that goes all year long that consists of a lot of free agents that may bounce back and forth between teams. Um, so with that group, we, we go back to back, we'll move and then we'll go right into the weight room. But with combine with guys that are here and are living here for that eight to 12 week window, we give them a little bit more time um, in between like, well, our movement session may be at eight o'clock and they may come back and, and lift at one o'clock. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Great stuff. And so in terms then of, let's say you have athletes for a longer period of time, Augie, how would you, how would you structure like the training blocks? Is it three week blocks? Is it four week blocks? Is there deloads? Is it accumulation yeah. followed by intensification phases? How, how does that look? Yeah, no, we, with, if we have somebody for a longer time, we typically, we, we like three week or four week blocks, three up, one down. Um, and we typically follow that model as well during combine. We just found that in terms of stress on the system, um, especially on the nervous system, when we have our two high days, when we actually get after it, um, the, the four week blocks tend to help the most. Um, now that being said, you know, we may have, let's say some of our pro guys um, that are on rosters and we know that they have specific timelines that aren't so foreign, unlike our un- elite group guys who they can leave any other, any week. Um, you know, our, in the off season, we, we can, we'll touch a couple, like a two week block, three week block of like a anatomical adaptation um, in terms of just building cross-sectional area um, and just kind of build, build from there. Um, but typically four week blocks. Great stuff. And then say the week, I should ask this too, the microcycle setup. So again, yeah. obviously, obviously it depends on, again, again, if we're talking about the high school athlete or developmental athlete versus the pro athlete, but what's what's the typical setup? And I suppose it depends too on time of season. Because I know from when I worked at Boyles, it was always either two or three day programs year round, except summer. Summer was a four day program. Right. But uh, is it you know is it typically you're getting athletes in three times a week, and then is it like total body weight room, and then does it alternate between linear, multi directional, or you know if it's a four days, a two linear days, and two multi, and yeah, you know, what's the setup look like there? For our, like elite group and common guys, it's a four day program. Um, two linear, two change of direction. Um, and then because we have such a, a, a wide range of youth athletes, then it just kind of depends on what their A schedule will allow. We have a lot of high school athletes that may come two to three times a week, sometimes once a week. Um, so in that regards, it's kind of all over the board. Um, but our, our NFL guys, our elite group is four days a week. Um, our MMA guys are two to three times a week. And it's sorry, and then in terms of the the movement emphasis, let's say oh, some, yeah. if somebody was coming twice a week, would you would it be a mix of linear and multi? So they're hitting that twice. Yeah. Um, and then if if it's a three day, like is it going? Is it all? Is it is it linear multi and then a mixed day, or is it linear multi linear and then maybe the following week it's two multi and one linear? How does that look? So if it depended on if it's like our younger athletes, like we have thirty plus coaches. Um, so we do give them the autonomy to, to choose what KPIs they need to attack the most. Um, I tend to go a linear day, a max velocity day, and then change the direction just so they can touch them all. Now, if they, you know, the attentional capacity of some of those athletes is high, um, and they can, they can kind of discriminate between the different, the different skills. I'll start to blend a little bit. Um, uh, I might do an acceleration and then blend it with some multi-directional in there just because they have to understand how to get back to acceleration anyway. Um, max velocity is a little bit more taxing on a lot of our athletes. Um, we like to use the woodways um, or if we're trying to do some longer buildups, um, I know that's a little bit more taxing. So I typically leave that one alone um, by itself. But if we have some time and they're in shape and they understand it, and we kind of hit what we need to hit. I might go into some light deceleration work or um, just light multi-directional work just to, just a touch on it um but typically if i go three i'll try to touch them all if i go two i might go one week acceleration the next day um multi-directional and then alternate one of the skills the next week um but i typically love to keep acceleration in um because they're going to see that in most sports yeah great stuff makes a lot of sense okay augie so i know from this having previous discussions with lauren he has very wouldn't yeah i suppose saying very strong opinions might sound a little bit negative or or like i'm i'm trying to be controversial here but he ha- he does have some strong beliefs on agility and you know his sort of progressions within agility so i'd love to get your thoughts on that as somebody who, who obviously is one of the top coaches at land of performance what are your thoughts when it comes to agility progression and, and what does that look like with your athletes um early on especially when teaching them, you know, I, I do believe you want, you want to start obviously going from a closed scenario to open. Um, and ultimately, you know, when we look at agility, we look at all these, 
drills that guys are taking their athletes through, guys and gals, sorry. Um, for us as performance coaches, we're just trying to provide them solutions, extra solutions, and another uh, an extra tool. You're not necessarily giving them exactly what the tool is, um, but providing them extra tools. So when we start to teach our athletes, the biggest thing is teaching them different positions because ultimately whatever agility drill we're doing, um, A, we, there needs to be some sort of transfer. But as we look at agility and change of direction, they ultimately have to get back to acceleration. So no matter what's going on, whatever all the extra noise is, they still have to figure out how to get back to acceleration um, in most, most sports, court or field-based sports. Um, so for us, I, I would like to teach a lot of different drills, but I want to see the same a similar theme in terms of how well do they get back to acceleration. Um, as we know, as we go from a closed to an open setting, when guys go into gameplay, there's so many different things that happen. There's an infinite amount of positions that guys will get into in a game. But do they understand how to get there? And do they understand what tool to use? Uh, we may not know when to use it, but I, effectively teaching these athletes different skills, understanding how to you know, leverage their levers, whether it's a drop step or a shuffle to excel or whatever it may be, a, a reactive step. Um, giving those athletes, I think, a chance to understand and giving them saturation on learning these different, you know, subsets of, of skills and then allowing them to put it together, I think, in my opinion, will give them the, the best shot. Yeah, it was, I suppose th this topic became very um, top of mind because there's been a lot of talk over, particularly like the last number of years, within the last, you know, two, three, definitely five. And, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, it was trickling out, but it is definitely a lot more top of mind now is this, this concept of skill acquisition. Right. Um, and, you know, sort of, um, you know, letting athletes sort of letting the learning environment be a little more sort of chaotic because right. of the emerging properties that happen, particularly when it comes to like sports where there is a lot of change of direction and decision-making involved. And I know at the time, at the ACP that we uh, originally met at, I know like there was a lot of discussion around skill acquisition and sort of the 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 work of um, Sean Mishka. Now I know Sean would say it's not his work, but like it's very much what he promotes, the, the ideas and concepts out there around skill acquisition. And then you also have Rob Gray down in Arizona too, who, uh, who does a lot of work with skill acquisition. And sort of the conversation was around that almost closed chain agility drills were like taboo now. It was like, why would anyone right. ever do that? And it was Lauren who kind of came to the defense of these, which I found very intriguing. And I actually really did like Lauren's um, rationale for it. And he was like, he was like, I 100% agree that closed chain, closed chain drills don't do anything for decision making or for the you know um perception cognition and you know coupling and then making and then just making decisions and actions and all that and um, but he's like people seem to have forgotten that there is also a biomechanical cost to the body for change of direction and there's also there's a physiological demand that needs to be trained so he's like the tendons need to go through these forces the right. ligaments need to go through these forces the skeletal system has to go through these forces Elastic tissues need to know how to store and recoil and, and use right. you know, potential energy and convert it to kinetic energy. And he was just like, what's wrong? Like he, you know, like he's like, right. we, we, we don't seem to have a problem with planned movements in strength training in the weight room to, to develop a biomotor quality of strength. So he's like, <laughs> right. He's like, we're, we're just, it's, it's all force. Like, he's just like, it's no different to like the force you have to encounter when I move in the weight room. It's just that we're doing force through a planned movement through speed or agility. And he was like, so he just completely reframed it. He's like, so basically, Norm's like, I'm not using closed chain drills, closed chained drills, terrible um, pronunciation on my part, to develop decision making and better right. perce perception and cognitive abilities in gameplay. He's like, I'm using this to make the athlete more robust from a tissue standpoint and right. making, making sure that those tissues have felt those forces or even gone to higher levels of force so that the game is more submaximal. So I actually love that rationale by Lauren. Right. And um, because I also felt that it gave people a little more like, you know, it's okay to do a planned drill. Don't worry about it. You're not right. like, you're right. not a bad person. Cause also within like the sports specific world in terms of like sports coaches, there's been a huge thing on like, everything has to be games now, game based, game based. Right. If you do right. a planned drill, you're a bad coach. And it's just like, 
is a lot more nuanced to it than that. Right. And, you know, I'd, I'd argue as well that when we use our closed drill, let's say if we take a drill as like a karaoke and we're just, do, we're just teaching some athlete just the simple drill of karaoke or we take into like a, a drop step or a crossover step. You know, I would argue by teaching the athlete that skill and they refining that skill. But when it comes into gameplay, the amount of time thinking of that skill drops off so we can go back to the decision making of the actual sport and they can choose what needs to be needs to be done in a, a very fast velocity. You know, we can only comprehend so many things at one time. You know what? Why not refine a skill? I get it, it's in a closed setting um, as good as we can. So the thought of the skill doesn't the actual the, the pureness of the skill doesn't drop off and you don't have to think about how to do that skill. Um, and your attention could be spent on everything else in gameplay that needs to be figured out in terms of time, timing, when to go, what need, what actually has to happen. Um, you know, I, I think that's a uh, very, very valid. Great stuff. So we've mentioned Lauren a few times. So obviously he has been a huge influence on you as, as a coach. And if you can correct me if wrong, probably as, as a person and a human being too, but outside Definitely. outside of Lauren, and, and you're welcome to speak more on, on him as an influence, but outside of Lauren, who else has been a big influence on you, not only as a coach, but but as a human? Um, shoot, good question. There's a there's a there's a couple. I, I've through Lauren, I've had I've had the opportunity to talk with Dan Path, who's been tremendous in terms of being able to ask questions and um, you know, I'm a fan of people and Lauren's the same way. You know, you ask them a question, it's not about they don't necessarily just give you an answer. Um, they might give you a, a possible solution, but a chance to go research more solutions. Um, I'm a big, a big fan of that. I had a, a strength coach in college. His name is uh, Marco Candido. Um, I believe he is now at, uh, I forget where he's at. I want to say Oregon State now. He was a, had a big influence on, on the way that I think in terms of strength and conditioning. It's kind of the first time that I really started to think different um, as a strength coach in college. I'll tell a quick story. He had... Um, uh, when I was playing football, I was running, I was playing football and running track and well, needless to say, some coaches is the, during the spring, you have your, your off season for football. So you're, you're training for football, which is the heart of track season. Um, but I had a, uh, a coach, we had like our, our one rep max day for football. And that's a big thing in the spring. Um, but we had, um, some pretty big track meets coming up. And I'm, you know, I go to, to Marco and I'm like, how am I, I'm like, how am I supposed to go and squat? I haven't been squatting like that. I haven't been doing the program that the, the football guys were doing. Um, you know, and that head coach wanted to see me do those maxes, you know, it's big part of team camaraderie. I get it. Um, so, but Marco kind of looks at me cause he had already been manipulating my workouts through track season. Um, which is already hard enough in a collegiate track season. Those workouts are, are no joke. But in this weight room, he had worked on certain qualities that he knew that I was going to retain, which is interesting now that I think about it now. Um, but I remember that coach, I went to and did my one rep or two rep max, or I think it was a three rep max. Um, it was the strongest I've ever been. I think I have 170 pounds. I hit like 475 for three um, out of nowhere. And I wasn't lifting that way. Um, I was my that strength coach at that time was just peppering it in when it needed to be, you know, and I asked him afterwards, I'm like, man, how'd you know that I was going to be strong enough? He's like, well, you've been sprinting for four months. All I had to do is kind of fill in the gaps here and there, but your strength wasn't just going to drop off. And that was the first light bulb I had. I was like, oh, wow, there is a difference in of coaches in, in this field in terms of what I'm what they're looking for, and what they need to see. Um, in terms of performance and that was a huge and he's he's a tremendous mentor for me um, for a long time um, but the, 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 those two are for, for sure the major ones um, that I could think off the top of my head um, and then I had a uh, one of my track coaches in high school um, a pretty good mentor of mine really really old school but as I go back because I do coach track now my, at the same high school it's to me it's very interesting you know a lot of us younger guys, we always look at the older guys like they're old and crazy. It's like no, a lot of the methods that they use are so intuitive, it's ridiculous, and it's amazing to watch. Um, and it, that has kind of helped kind of mold my my philosophy and the way that I see things. It's uh, it's funny you mentioned that about um, you know, you were sprinting and then you you squatted four seventy five for three because I was just listening to a podcast that uh, Mike Dango was on. 
And I've, I've heard this many times about Charlie Francis, but he was just, he said in that podcast when he first came across Charlie Francis, that that old Charlie Francis saying that he's like speed increases weights, but weights don't usually increase speed to a certain right. point. But he's like speed nearly always bleeds back into strength. So like, he's like, you take these sprinters, never lift a weight in their life. And once they had the basic technical model down of like how to do the big lifts in the gym, they were strong as fucking shit. Like, right. Right. But he's like, you take a strong fella who like lifts the weight down and never sprinted. And then they go out and sprint. He's like, they're not very good. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. That's a great like, one. It, it was right. funny. Yeah. Just because that was a Charlie Francis saying he was like, speed will increase the weights, but the weights won't increase the speed. Now, obviously, again, there's context that if you're a complete novice and you get stronger, right. speed increase. But he was talking about like, you know, people who were at a pretty elite level. He's like, the faster they got, the stronger they usually got in the weight room as well. But he's like, if their strength numbers went over the weight room, it didn't, it didn't transfer back into the speed. So it was, just, right. it was funny you mentioned that. Um, for younger coaches grow, coming, I should say, growing up, coming up through through the ranks, Augie, what advice would you would you give them? Man, I uh, so I learned this. Um, it's funny. I kind of I mentioned this to our interns when I was trying out. I was trying out for an NFL team, and a coach had came in, and he had he said, "Always carry your backpack and have a notebook." Um, and I was like, and this is you know trying to get in the NFL. He's like, it always a you always look attentive. Um, but then you always have the ability to write something down. You can't remember it all. And I was like, wow. Back then I was like, that was an interesting, you know, because back then you're always trying to impress coaches. So I was like, okay, I got my backpack and have my notebook. Um, but go in hindsight, thinking about like the best coaches that I know, I met with one yesterday who's he's been coaching for a long time, very respected. Um, and he we're sitting down, and he's writing in his notebook. And I'm like, wow, a, a, a guy that is the coach for 30 plus years is still writing things down. Um, you know, I, I've talked to, I've watched Lauren do it. I've talked to Dan, I've watched him write stuff down still to this day, as knowledgeable as they are, they're still writing notes. And I think that's huge. Um, you know, cause I, a, it, it means that you're still willing to, to learn new things. Um, and you're taking in new things and you're reflecting on certain things. Um, and I just think that expedites your, your coaching curve when you start to write things down. Um, I know we're in the day, day and age of um, technology and it's much easier to write on your phone and take your notes or however you do it. But I, I, I do think there is something to being able to write things down and go through that process and write, erase, um, walk around, take the notes of a lot of the things that you hear throughout the day, you know, and go and review it or things that you see throughout the day or how your athletes are doing. Um, I, I think that helps the, the learning curve as well. Just and like that's a great segue for my next question because I'm fascinated with mastery, um, and just fascinated by the topic of mastery, and obviously a huge part of mastery is learning. So my question to you is, how do you learn? So if I just put a little more context around that, let's say there's just a subject or a topic that just it grabs you and you become fascinated by it. What what would be your method then to to just completely master that one area? Ooh, good question. I would, I read it. I'm very, uh, I'm a very visual person as well. I have to do it. Um, or if it's a, you know, a topic that I don't know, I have to read it, write it out, um, and talk about it. That's the biggest thing talking, explaining, and, you know, teaching, they always say teachers, the best, you know, the best uh, experience, but, um, being able to just talk and go through it. I have, I'm a very visual hands-on person. Um, that's why that's probably why I write things as well. My memory is good, but it's it's I have to see it. I have to be able to move pieces here. I have a giant whiteboard in my room where I have to just draw things to, to makes more sense to me that way. Yeah, awesome. Pretty, pretty yeah, similar, similar enough to myself in a way. There's a great memory and recall expert, a guy called Jim Quick, and he has an acronym called FAST for learn anything. And it's, it stands for forget, active, state, and teach. So he's like, if you ever want to learn or master a topic, he's like, the first uh, letter F stands for forget. And he says, I know that actually sounds a bit odd because you're trying to remember. He says, but he goes, if you go into something with a closed mind thinking you know everything about the topic, because you won't learn anything. So you got to go in with a beginner mindset. So forget what you think you already know about it. Right. And he's like, learning has to be active. You have to participate in it. So he's like, if you learn something, have a quick test and quiz on it to make sure that you're actively engaging in the process or else if it's more like tangible or tans on, he's like, but it has to be active. It can't be just you 
you know, uh, passively going through or taking in information because he's like, that's like, you know, yourself, you only read a page and then like, you're like, where was I when I read that page? Like, you, right. you, you don't remember anything. Whereas if you really are very attentive, you have attentional focus, like the best thing to always do is the best book I ever read. This book actually changed my life in terms of how to, to, um, recall and remember and learn things. It's, it's called Make It Stick. And the whole the whole idea of this book is if you want to learn a math something, you have to take a test. He's like, so when you when you study a chapter in a textbook, he's like, you gotta now take a test of what you just learned and see how much you actually retained. And it just it, see, so that that makes it active. So the A in Jim Quick's acronym, he's like, it has to be active. And uh, it was just that there's there's many principles in that book, but I, I could go on about it for for minutes here, and I don't want to be too long winded here because I usually am. And then the listeners always give it like, I love your podcast, but you got to shut up and let the guests talk more. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, and then the S is state. So, what sort of state are you in? So, are you nutritionally well fed? Did you sleep well? Are you hydrated? And then the T is teach. So, fast is his acronym. Forget active state and teach. And so obviously then teaching being huge, because again, if that's what you touched on, which I completely agree. If you really want to learn a master something, teach the topic, because if you can't explain it and teach it, you don't know well enough then. Right. So that's really, really, uh, really great stuff, Augie. Uh, a few more for you, and then I'll let you go, because I know that you have more coaching to do. Just for the listeners, Augie's in the, he's in the office in the facility, and he had, he had the coaching pen behind the ear. He was a man <laughs> of action. So he's coaching, hops on a podcast. He'll probably grab a quick bite to eat coach do his own with a training more coaching he's he's a real coach's coach um your top and current reading recommendations what would you say Ooh, that's a good one um it's it's funny you say that because every time i come across another book i write it down my amazon cart my wife will kill me um that's a good one you get those funny looks you get those funny looks off the mailman too he's like what are you buying every day from Amazon? It's oh heavy. my goodness. And it's heavy. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, you know what? The it's a good one. I think it's a good one for uh coaches. Um, but it's um oh why well, I'm drawing a blank. Um it's uh what am I blanking for? If you, um, if you need you can you can check it up there, no problem. Let me do I'm gonna get yeah. real quick here. Uh, that happens all the time you're like wow what am I? and then when you get the title you're like oh yeah of course i know i'm gonna i'm gonna be so mad at myself when i find the title uh, now I'll, I'll edit all that stuff out so it'll just sound like you just said the title straight away so no one knows let's see here it is uh oh my goodness yeah oh so silly chop wood carry water my goodness um very very good book whoop still there yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. Bro. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very good book. And just kind of like you're saying, in terms of mastery, um, you know, I know it's not strength and conditioning based per se, but uh, very, very easy read because just like you, like in terms of enjoying the process and what it actually takes and the, the things that you're learning along the journey um, as you're trying to master a specific skill set. Um, I think it's tremendous. I go back to that book all the time because um, a lot of good little little mini stories within that book you can read it within a weekend but you can go back and draw from it there's so many different things that when i read i was like oh man um different little perspectives that you can look at in terms of a as you're learning you're perfecting your craft but kind of you kind of see what's going on with your athletes and i think again being able to relate to what their process is going through as they're going through learning these brand new skills that we're trying to teach them and get them to acquire and, and perfect I and mean, then hopefully produce when they're when they're on the field or on the court. Great. So so that is chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's uh, that's, Joshua Metcalf. Yeah, I, I can't fully remember, but someone else did recommend that book before. And uh, it's funny that you say it's it's not, you know, it's technically not a strength and conditioning book or a training book, but that then always reminds me of a quote I heard Stu McMillan say, and Stu says, I don't read training books anymore, but every book I read is a training book. Man, that's a great quote yeah, <laughs> Stu's awesome uh, Stu's amazing yeah Stu's amazing Yoda number two after Dan seriously so Augie I'm going to ask two more questions and then if there's anything else you want to add at the end it, the floor will be yours this is one I actually have I haven't asked on the show in a while and I used to ask all the guests and I just love to get your thoughts on it too in, in terms of the good and then also the not so good 
what what are the good things that you do see in our profession that that makes you proud to be within our profession and then on the other end of that what are the not so good things that you see within our profession and what would your solution be for the not so good things good question um as far as the good i mean we're start we're still seeing some just advancements daily in terms of i mean shoot watching the olympics and looking at the U.S. Open right now, there's I want to say there's two 18 year olds that are they're surging to the top. The, the the youth of a lot of these athletics and the advancement of of the performances that some of these athletes are doing, I think it's amazing. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of just watching, especially with during the Olympics, all these different strategies come into fruition, um, whether they worked or not. But seeing these athletes, especially coming into an odd Olympic year since 2020 should have happened a year ago. Um, a lot of these strategies and a lot of these things that a lot of these great coaches are doing are working, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I think the, uh, in terms of health, in terms of return to sport, you know, when you look at a guy like, uh, Bromel coming after all these injuries and stuff like that, able to compete at a high level, Gatlin still hanging on <laughs> nearly four years old. Um, I think that that's, that it's, it's a testament to what's going on in this field. Um, but not so good. And I'm sure many people have mentioned it as well as obviously, you know, social media. I think it's a, a gift and a curse. There's a lot of great information out there. Um, but also it becomes like a, uh, uh, what is it called? Like a, uh, I want to say, uh, just like a look at me contest, you know, who can, who can say the most new stuff. Um, the, the, and, I call it the, the, the game of one upsmanship. Exactly. Exactly. And you can easily get caught into it when you're looking at different training methods or different coaches and like, oh man, easy go back to like, Hey man, should I be doing this? Should I be doing this? You know, it's like, I, I do believe it's one thing to unturn every rock, you know, to help your athletes. It's a different thing to taste every flavor. Um, that's a, that's, that's a, two different things, you know, when you're helping or you're just trying to try something out just to see if it tastes good. You know, I think ultimately, the solution is to always remembering to have an athlete centered approach, you know, and that, that's what we try to try to harp at our facilities, make sure the athletes first. Um, I heard it. Oh man, the coach I was talking to yesterday. Um, you, you should know the difference between what you need to do and what you should do. Um, you know, coaches are coaches and from some context behind that, he's like, you know, coaches that are, you know, during a season or during a training session, like, Hey, no, we should do this. You know, opposed to like, no, no, we need to do this. You know, we should understand the difference between the two. Um, I, I thought that was good. Great, great advice yesterday. Yeah, it's great stuff, man. I, it, and as you say that, what, what always comes to my mind, like, okay, we, we, we would all love the athletes that we train to like, you know, make it to the professional ranks and at least status in the big time. But the simple fact of the matter is we know that that's just like a small percentage of all the athletes that we're ever going to train. Right. I think right. like, I think if we get, if we reframed our real purpose as coaches, it's really all we're doing is we're just trying to make better humans and we're just using, we're, we're just utilizing, you know, sports preparation as the medium to make these, you know, these female or, or these boys and girls, these males and females, better humans in the long run. 100%. I mean, I, for me, like some of my most favorite groups that I have, I, I do coach high school track here locally. And then I started like a youth team, you know, and those are some of the funnest sessions that I have. Um, a, cause it's pure, but interestingly enough, I learned so much watching and teaching my youth athletes again and going back to the pro athletes. I'm like, Oh boy, the refinement of my, of what I do know and having to <laughs> tell like a seven-year-old how to, how to skip in a non-technical manner, how to sprint in a non-technical manner. I, in my eyes, it's helped me tremendously. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I remember when I, when I both interned and then when I worked at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, like I can remember, I, I, I can see these kids still in my mind's eye. Like, you know, they were, and I'm generalizing here, but we'd often get that kid who was a little bit overweight, a little bit pudgy, yeah. low self-esteem, wouldn't make eye contact. You'd make a joke with them and just kind of shrug it off. 
and literally, <laughs> and literally 10 weeks later, like they're a stud. Do you know what I mean? Because they're yeah. trap bar deadlifting, perfect form, they're bench press, they have a little bit of muscle mass coming on, you know, they've lost a bit of the puppy fat, they're starting to wear their baseball cap backwards, they look at you face with the eyes now, their chest is up and tall, they actually start to shout across the weight room, hey coach, you know what I mean? And it's right. just like, you're like, that to me is far more significant than you know, and it's and by the way, it's not to diminish a pro athlete. Like if you have a pro athlete with super, right. like that's amazing, it means the world to me. But I just, in terms of the grand impact on humanity, you can do repeat that process so much more with that young athlete, because again, that's the majority of the people you're going to train for most of your coaching career. Or in terms right. of the the, the as I said, like only a small percentage of of the majority you're going to train if you're within sort of strength and conditioning are going to go to the elite level. So the impact you have is going to be much more significant on sort of you know the high school to middle to high school athlete and collegiate athlete and if you can make that difference with sort of the athletes who are less gifted you know just the impact that's going to have on their lives later on is just phenomenal like you know man i I agree and these a lot of these are lifelong relationships you know one of my first clients see when i started he was eight i went to his football he's a junior in high school now but i've been good friends with his, his mom good friends with his dad you know it's one of those kids that'll call you um, you know, if they need anything. And I think that understanding that part is like, we're coaches, but for a lot of athletes, we're, we may be the most consistent people that they see all the time. You know, yeah. I've had a lot of situations where, you know, you're the point man for some stuff that's completely unrelated to training. So as coaches, you know, our, our, our tool set and our, <laughs> everything doesn't just stick to just the barbells and sprints man it's there's a lot more that comes with our with our job and it, it goes back to one of the beginning points in our discussion uh, with you talking about your your time selling cell phones and the the communication skills you learn from that which again obviously serves you know serves you better than obviously when you deal with athletes of such varied backgrounds and ages and you know again you know male athletes versus female athletes young athletes right. versus older athletes you know it's just all that then obviously melds into making you a, a more efficient communicator, which then obviously makes you a more effective and efficient coach. Um, Augie, this has been a great conversation. I've only got one more question for you. And yeah. that is, I'm going to bring you for dinner. And I say to you, listen, you can invite five people to this dinner. And these five people can be dead. They can be alive. They can be a, a real person Ooh. or a fictitious character. Five individuals, male or female as well. Um, who would you bring to this dinner and why would you bring them to this dinner? Oh, good question. Hmm. I just, just, just cause I, I, if people don't, aren't prepared for this, they kind of in their mind, they have like a little bit of a freak out cause they want like their five people to be like, so like profound, but just, just to give right. you a, a, just to give you a little bit of a, not so much help, but I know some individuals like to have categories They're like, well, I'll bring a politician and a sports person and I'll bring one female, one very famous female or something like that, or a singer or an artist. Some people like to do it like that. Um, and I can give you my five if you want. So. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear your five. Okay. So, and it changes, but at the moment, my five would be Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not because I'm, uh, I'm not religious at all. I just, I just would like to meet the entity that was Jesus. If he did exist. Right. Um, Martin Luther King, um, a guy called Joseph Shilton Pierce. He, he, he wrote many books on child development and human psychology, and he just had a profound influence on me. Um, a gentleman called Jock Fresco. He was the founder of the Venus Project, which essentially, and he was a futurist, so he he developed a lot of technologies that would allow the world to move from a monetary uh, economy to a resource-based economy, where computer algorithms would decide what the world needed from a resource standpoint. Very intelligent man. And ooh, the fifth person, which realize I've no females there. Um, if I was to bring a female, Dr. Natasha Cam McBride always comes to my mind, but then also Madame Curie comes to my mind because I think she's a bit interesting as well. Um, but I have to say too, I know this isn't a female, but probably Nelson Mandela, he'd probably be my fit for now. Oh, that's a good one too. So, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry. Mm. Hold on. Wait, wait, hold on. So much. <laughs> wait, actually, Abraham Lincoln has to be there. So I'd actually go, I'd go Jesus. I'd go Martin Luther King. I'd go Joseph Shilton Pierce. I'd go Nelson Mandela and I'd probably and go Joseph Shilton Pierce. So I might leave Jock Fresco out. 
Oh, I feel bad though because I really like Jock, but it, it alternates. But I love Abe Lincoln and I love Martin Luther King, so they're gonna be there. And again, you have to have Jesus there. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I always, I'd always wonder. Like I'm always sitting down and I always think if Jesus was there, I the first thing I'd probably say to him was, "I knew you weren't white. No way. Right? <laughs> you, know, you living out in Jerusalem and all them statues back in Ireland, and you're pale white. It's like there's just no way. You had to have a tan. I knew it." Right. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, you know, um, I would say Martin Luther King for sure. Um, I think Maya Angelou would be another good one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, who would I like to sit down with? I know I would love to sit down with... Um, um, um oh my goodness i'm always blanking today um um that's a good question man any any sports people michael jordan for sure yeah he 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 does get a few mentions um good crew so far yeah um you know, and this is highly controversial. I get it. Um, I, w- I, I, I would be curious just on, because I'm just curious on how he's able to drive and create. I would like to sit down and, with Hitler. Yeah, um, yeah, that's man, in, great answer. Great answer. In, just in terms of influence. Um, now, now, not the great way to influence, in my opinion, but um, no, to influence. Under- it, yeah, it, to understand. It, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, who was that? That was three. That's four because you had you had Martin Luther King, the second individual. I, I wasn't too sure who you said. Who was the second individual again? Uh, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Then you yes, uh, Jordan and Hitler. Um, and then number five. That's an interest. That's an interest. Hitler and Martin Luther King in the one place. Whew. Yeah, I, I just I'm a fan of perspective. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. To see. And how people get to man, I, I've I, I'm I'm a huge yeah, history buff, and I've studied a lot around World War Two, and I studied a lot on Hitler, and, I, and I'm I'm all about understanding why everyone and everything is for like, I, so I always say everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason, right? That there's always situations and conditions and environments that led people to be who they are, and led certain and led certain situations come to fruition. So like every 100%. every everyone and everything is the way they are for a specific reason. And if you actually go back and study the life of Hitler, you can understand how he came to the beliefs he came to. So I, like, and I always say this is that there's a difference between respect and acceptance. So like, right. I don't respect Adolf Hitler and I don't respect the Nazi right. regime, but Neither. I, yeah. but I accept that it came to fruition because I understand all the conditions that led to the Nazis come into power i i understand you know i can understand how that happened but it doesn't mean you have to accept it so and i'll let you in here for one second but just to wrap that up because i've said this many times but you probably never heard me say it is that i always say i unconditionally love everyone and everything but i don't like everyone and i don't like everything (laughs) another another way of saying unconditional love is acceptance that's all that is right that's all that is unconditional love just means pure um, unconditional acceptance. That's all it means. So when it comes to someone, I'm really happy you did say Hitler because a lot of people are like, oh my God. Because again, it's just, it's a different, you got to reframe that. It's just your perception of what you think about Hitler is very different to someone else. It's just like the word God. Right. It's just like the word God too. It's like that word means so many things to different people or like love or 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 like uh, being wrong. Like some people, some people think being wrong is negative. Other people are like, no, being wrong means I learned something. It's good. Right. So right. It's just, it's just all comes down to perception. But I always say that, that I unconditionally love everyone, everything, but that doesn't mean that I have to like everyone, everything. It just means that I understand that everyone and everything is the way there for a reason. So great, great answer on that. So I, fu- I fully resonate with what you're, what you're coming across. Um, the last one would be Michael Jackson. Oh, very good. Very yeah, good. I think I've mentioned before, like I'm just more, I'm enamored of people that are really, 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 really good at what they do. Um, okay. Almost like a, a neurotic sense. Now I'm just interested in what drives them to be, you know, the perfectionist. 
um, that, that mentality is it's a, such a different, when you come around those people, it's just different. You just, you, you, the air is just different. I'm, I'm, those, I love asking those people like that questions. Well, you definitely have a great lineup there in terms of driven individuals in, in, in their own right. Anyway, all those individuals. Right. Okay. Augie, listen, that was phenomenal. Um, and I have to say, have you done any podcasts before? Is this one of your first? This I've might have done like a couple before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, because because uh, I was just thinking because I, I was trying to see if you if you don't I came across a written piece you done for um, Momentos, um or is that, is that the same? Oh yeah, actually yeah I have never actually yeah published one or anything like that. No, I have not. I've joined yeah. one, but yeah. So uh, no, because I just want to say you're excellent in conversation, and you should definitely try and get yourself out there more. And I'd love to have you back on, but. Just for individuals that are that are looking to get in contact with you, or they may have some follow up questions about, you know, certain um, certain ideas or concepts you may have, or they may have questions around land of performance. Just where would be the best place for people to contact you? Yeah, I mean, it could be whether if it's email. My email is augustine.agyei at gmail.com. Uh, my Twitter is probably, or my Twitter or Instagram is probably easiest. It's persistence twenty one. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, link, I'll, I'll link all those handles in the show notes so people can just go to, to the website and just click on them perfect that'll yeah, work yeah. yeah that's the easiest okay. to kind of get a hold of me great stuff so Augie is there any, any final parting words before we wrap up no man that's that is it thanks for thanks for having me on man I, I, it's been a pleasure to kind of sit in, in, in okay. chat you know I'm a big fan of just exploring and I love conversation um, the more that I can learn, um, the better. But I, I enjoy it with good people. So thanks for having me on. I uh, really, really listen. I appreciate your time because I know, I know you're super busy. Because from previously talking to Lauren when he was over in Ireland last, he was just like, when he got the job with the Broncos, he was like, yeah, Augie just runs everything now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, just to let you know, he, he, he like, he, he, he mostly said he loved you so many. That was like February 2018, was it? I like just the amount of praise he kept giving you that whole two or three days I was around. He was, he was, I was like, you love Augie, don't you? He's like, oh, he's brilliant. He's, I'd be yeah, lost without him. <laughs> he is, I mean, he's been such a, a, a pinnacle in, in my life, in my career so far, man. So he's by far hands on one of the best people I know. Well, the feeling is mutual on his end because he was just singing your praises. <laughs> he loves you, man. So whatever you're doing, keep it going. But anyway, guys, for all those who are listening, I'll put all Augie's details in the show notes. Um, an absolute stud of a human being, as I said, when we first met at Altus at the ACP, I just knew, like, right, this is a guy I can resonate with, just a, a great person. And I suppose anybody who can put up with my bullshit, because I, <laughs> I can remember when I got that ACP, like, I just kept, like, like, just talking at the poolside chats and everyone's like, that guy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and myself and Lauren had some like words where like energy system stuff and like you were just always so nice and happy and polite. And I was like, yeah, this, this guy's a superstar. I love him. So re- really appreciate right. you, man. No, likewise, my friend. It was great to great to be on. Thanks again. I'll right. definitely love to come and do it again. Absolutely. I'll say goodbye to you offline. But for everyone listening, until next time, as I always say, take care, be well and stay strong. Mm-hmm.